Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, October 24th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion of Halloween 2018. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hi. He's here today. And uh, yeah, okay, we're gonna get into our spoiler discussion of Halloween, which means if you haven't seen the movie, you should stop here, go watch the movie, it's a good movie, and come back because we're gonna be spoiling everything, all the major twists and turns. You have been warned. You know, we have all given our opinions on this movie on uh, this week's water cooler, I think, or previously. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that we, we all enjoyed this movie. Uh, some people loved it, like uh, Chris. Uh, some people uh, thought it was okay, or thought it was good. I thought it was good, guys. Um, I think we all enjoyed it, though. Uh, but let, we wanted to have an episode where we could dive into spoilers and just uh, dissect this thing. So um, let's start things out with uh, – I'm wondering what you guys think of this because one thing I think that's interesting is this movie is getting really positive reviews from a lot of critics. And this, to me, seems like it's the Force Awakens of Halloween movies. Where it's like literally, actually even more so than The Force Awakens. Even, not even in the broad aspect of how The Force Awakens, you know, reiterates the beats of A New Hope. This, like, has moments, many moments from the original Halloween redone, uh, maybe in a variance. Uh, yet, I feel like Force Awakens got a lot of flack for this, and... Critics are loving this movie because of the the fact that it's kind of a at times shot for shot ideas are being remade here. So I wanted to... this movie is a direct sequel to the first film. You know, it, it's it's throwing everything out. It's throwing all the other sequels out, and you know, The Force Awakens isn't doing that. The Force Awakens is 
very much a film following three other films and you, and I guess three more, if you want to count the prequels, so six other films and for them to do sort of like the same story as uh, a new hope does seem a little derivative. Whereas with Halloween, it, since it's serving as a direct sequel to the first movie, it makes a lot more sense for this to have so many callbacks to that first movie. At least that's how I see it. But uh, I, I feel like many people going into this movie probably haven't seen the original Halloween in years and probably don't realize how much this movie is, you know, winking and nodding at the the fans of the franchise. I mean, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's impossible to like divorce myself from that line of thought just because I'm such a big franchise fan. But, you know, I, I saw it over the weekend with my wife, who is familiar with the franchise, but doesn't know it like I do, doesn't know every single shot and all that stuff. <laughs> and she really enjoyed the movie, even without picking up on all those, you know, Easter eggs, if you want to call it that. So I think it is possible to just enjoy this film, even if you're not like a Halloween obsessive, but if you are a Halloween obsessive, it, it, it has that extra level of, uh, I don't want to call it fan service. Cause I hate that, but I guess it is, it's bordering on fan service. I, I, <laughs> I think, think that, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead and bet. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think for me, like the reason that um, maybe the movie is getting a little bit more of a pass than force awakens. And in, in terms of that comparison is because, um, Force Awakens sort of keeps the same thematic beats as uh, what uh, A New Hope had, but this one, I mean, there are a lot of those sort of fan servicey moments. Um, you know, characters getting killed in almost exactly the same ways, and uh, you know, some some are more egregious than others in this new Halloween. But I think the reason that people really like a lot of the callbacks is because I would say a majority of the callbacks in the new Halloween um, sort of are reversals of what happened in the original you know it's commenting on the original it's it's sort of um it's it's flipping things a little bit and uh changing the thematic meaning behind it um i think my favorite example of this is since we're in spoilers i'll go ahead and talk about it at the very very end of the movie and this is i think my favorite part about this whole movie actually is that uh, uh laurie strode spends most of the movie you know, running from from Michael Myers and, and worried about where he is and the camera stays with her and, you know, she's going through the house and we have no idea where Michael Myers is. That's where a lot of the tension comes from. At a certain point, though, the perspective flips and we stay with him and we have no idea where she is. And that is really exciting. That's that's the movie itself, you know, uh, drawing this line and saying that we are no longer interested in the victimizer we are interested in the victim and how she is taking back her own narrative um so i think those are the kind of reversals that are exciting for people and and change the game a little bit more whereas for force awakens was just a little bit more of like uh this is more of the same kind of thing okay let's let's actually talk about the reversal of this movie because i think that's what's so interesting about this movie is kind of how it kind of reverses the situation of monster in the victim. This is the most interesting part of the movie uh, for me. And this was a big discussion about with a lot of people um, more so than like, you know, what was the scariest part of the movie? Cause it's not a particularly scary movie because what really works here is the idea of a slasher film. That's responsible <laughs> in many ways. Um, the, the wave of slasher films that follow the original Halloween, they're all about just uh, titillation and violence and how can we, cause harm to victims and, and allow the audience to revel in it. And this is the a movie that kind of takes a step back and and wants to examine uh, 
what the actual natural human response would be to a slasher situation and how that would reverberate with the victims. And that, that's what makes this movie uh, special and what makes it really stand out, especially from every other Halloween movie beyond the first one, is that it's interest in asking the questions that every other slasher movie has been too irresponsible, oftentimes in good ways, in ways I enjoy, uh, to even question. So that's why I'm, if we do see a new wave of slasher movies uh, going forward, I'm curious if they'll take this lead. In the same way that uh, Scream invented a self-aware slasher, this is a uh, slasher movie that's um, socially conscious. And I think that's the big difference, the big reversal between this and pretty much every other movie that is similar to it. Uh, Chris, would you be interested in seeing a new wave of, of that kind of movie? I would. Um, this movie is very smart. It's smarter than almost every Halloween sequel ever made. And, you know, that's not a problem because I, I love all, almost all the sequels, even the bad one. But this one is very clever. And um, it's clever in its approach because it has hindsight. It, it can look at the other films and study them and see where they went wrong and do the opposite of them. So it has that going for it. And if other slashers follow that route, I think that could be great, but I have I have a really bad feeling because Hollywood has a, has a tendency to miss why something works. They just see it works and they they take the the wrong lessons from it. So I have this really bad feeling that we're going to get a bunch of slasher movies that are just cheap and lazy. And it's pretty much what happened with with the Scream generation, where Scream was very clever, and then the you got very diminishing returns, where every film trying to be Scream had that same. Yeah, it was all teenagers talking way above their intelligence level. In yeah, it was, yeah, right. And it was it, they would always just cast people from like the CW or whatever it was called then. So I have a bad feeling we're in store for that. But I I, I hope we get a few more movies that are as uh, self-aware as this. I think a lot of people are actually making comparison to Terminator 2, especially in terms of the life-changing trauma that uh, her character has gone through and how that has affected not only her, but her kids and her relationships with her her grandchildren. I mean, she's definitely in full-on Sarah Connor mode here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's no question about that. Uh, I just think it's great that, that Jamie Lee Curtis had, you know, that, that this movie gave her uh, the ability to play uh, the same character, but a version of this character that's more complicated than what we would expect. Somebody who is fully aware of that trauma and also, you know, has dealt with it in, in ways that maybe uh, have harmed her own family. But at the same time, like she's ultimately proven right in the end of the movie. Like the the triumphant the triumphant moment in this film is that she was right and she knew what she was doing the whole time. So, um I don't know. It, it sort of validates, uh, e- even though I guess it could. You could argue that this was a. Um, uh, I, I guess that her methods were uh, were unconventional. Uh, they were they were validated by the end of the movie. Would does anybody else have any thoughts about that? I mean, just on the level that, like jumping back, <laughs> just the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis is now a a box office. Uh, star again i love that fact and i i hope uh, I, I never thought i would see that happen now this late in her career and i love that but yeah i mean it's it is interesting that like like ben said she is validated but at the same time she no doubt left uh emotional scars on judy greer's character i mean judy greer's character judy greer's character even says that at one point that you know, she, her childhood was basically ruined because 
of how Lori raised her. And sure, it pays off in the end, but that's not going to make those emotional scars go away. So, so it's it's somewhat interesting and that that you know even though Lori is validated and things sort of work out in the end there's still going to be baggage to deal with um and i guess that ties into if there should be a sequel um when i originally saw this i did not want there to be a sequel i i, I was like i want this to be the end of it because it, it wraps everything up but having saw, seen it again over the weekend i kind of want a sequel now just because i want to spend more time with these characters again like i want more of judy greer's character and i want more of uh, alice i like i want to see them do more I, and i'd love jamie lee curtis to come back i don't know if she will or not so it, it's it's I, I wonder if there is going to be a sequel yeah. if they'll still be these characters and if they'll deal with that 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 baggage that's still there yeah it, would... it's so it's so messy the way they leave it i mean they, they as chris said there's all these emotional scars and everybody's uh still struggling to rebuild those bridges and if the movie burns down the house but gives them the to rebuild their their bridges I would like to see them trying to reconnect and reconcile what they've learned and how they struggled with Michael Myers possibly returning and causing havoc again, because it's not that easy to fix things that broke your family. Yeah. I got to say like, even though I love this movie, that's what I was hoping this movie would be. I kind of wanted more of, you know, even though I think the Allison character is good and the actress, I forget her name. I think it's Andy Matichek does a very good job. I almost wish she weren't in the movie at all. I wish it was just, Jamie Lee Curtis and Judy Greer's characters connecting through the whole movie. And at the end, they finally see eye to eye. Like that's re really, I wanted more of that. And if we do get a sequel, I hope we do get more of that. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about a sequel a little later, but I wanted to ask you guys, we don't get to see how Michael Myers gets out of that uh, prison bus. Uh, they're escorting him from prison, uh, one prison to another prison. Uh, we kind of get to see the aftermath of that. Uh, how do you guys think he broke out? Because I, I want to propose a a horrible conspiracy theory to you guys, <laughs> and I, I already can feel uh, Chris hating this. Well, no, but... I, I think I think it's pretty clear that the doctor who I hate helped him escape. I mean, they don't show it, but I think it's. Oh, you think it's that? Okay. Oh, I I don't know. I don't understand how it could be anything else. I mean, the doc, there, the, you know, the movie makes such a big deal of the doctor being like, "Oh, he's still my patient, so I'm going with him wherever he goes." And I think that's David Gordon Green's yeah. way of letting us know, like, you know, this is the guy who helps him break free, and everyone else is dead, so no one can rat well, him out. Well, I I do think that's a reasonable answer. My conspiracy theory is not reasonable. Okay, my my. Conspiracy theory is that, uh, well, we know that Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, uh, know, knows that he's being transported, knows when that's happening. That is made clear in the movie. And she has said that she's waited all this time to kill him, right? What if she was instrumental in having that bus go off the road? That's a <laughs> that's a really uh, I don't hate that idea. I don't think that happened because I think it's out of character. But yeah, that is a very interesting twist. And the movie even has that scene where she watches the bus drive away 
and there's a shot where it looks like Michael Myers is in the window of her car, even though he's not really there, and she's screaming, and it really abruptly cuts away. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if someone else actually has that theory from the way it happened, but I don't think that's what happened because I think it changes the whole movie if if that's what happened. Yeah, and for me, the, the Doctor being so, in the back half of the movie, working so actively to encourage Michael Myers' rampage makes you think that he saw this as, his, uh, as, as a little testing lab and he made it happen. And it's why he had to be on that bus. It, so it, is, more, uh, it is interesting that the doctor wasn't killed in that whole escape. Yeah. And I just want to give a quick shout out to the way that that scene was shot, that bus crash. I mean, that is like one of the most gorgeously uh, rendered moments in this movie, I think is just like, Oh, it's the, a fog. Yeah. The, the fog and like the lights and everything being sort of off kilter and like, these uh yeah these uh um what, what are they wearing like uh j- um like jumpsuit like uh psychiatric ward suits yeah. just these figures like lurching slowly through the fog i mean it, it, that is like the most evocative um you know the movie's pretty straightforward in terms of like its visuals i think but that was the moment where i was like wow this is like really gorgeous stuff okay guys here's where i get a little nitpicky I, it's kind of ridiculous to me. I mentioned this in the on the water cooler podcast that like this the first you know thirty forty five minutes of this movie is all an orchestration to get Michael Myers not only out of prison but to get him with his original mask to get him to a gas station where he can steal a jumpsuit and uh, you know find a kitchen knife somewhere. Like, did anybody else find that a little bit ridiculous? Do you want my serious answer and my joke answer? Yes, I want both. Okay, my uh, my joke answer is that, of course, he found a gas station with a jumpsuit uh, because he's a six foot four man wandering down the road where there will be a gas station and he needs some kind of outfit that will fit him. A normal clothes won't, a jumpsuit will. That's my joke answer. Uh, my real answer is that... Um, not having the iconography and not setting it up would have just left people disappointed. So it, this way, it just gets it done, gets the other way, it happens, and it, it'll be it'll be like Jason Voorhees always finds a hockey mask, uh, and <laughs> and if we, if we if we didn't have that, people would be bummed out. So I, I feel like they just as quickly as and efficiently put as many characters in one place as they can to make it happen, so you can get that iconic image and just forget about it. Because I think that if it hadn't happened quickly, we'd be, we'd be complaining about it right now as opposed to nitpicking about it. That's that's my yeah. personal view on that. Yeah, I don't want to nitpick it too much because it really didn't bother me. It just I, I kind of chuckled at it. Uh, I did find uh, the true crime setup of this was intriguing, but I don't feel like they went into it. That much, like I, I feel like they could have said something about these uh, podcasters who are kind of like trying to take advantage of you know this horrible situation, and uh, it, I don't know. It just seemed strange that there's nothing being said about that. It's just kind of there because it's relevant and it's today. I disagree, but I want to get to that in a little bit when we have a certain section that I know we're going to be talking about. Okay, uh, let's talk about the David Gordon Greenness of this whole thing. I uh, and I'm not sure if this is what you want to talk about, Jacob, but uh, I was a little bit bothered by the kind of moments of humor. Not that they weren't funny. It's kind of in the same way is the moment the 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 humor in in last Jedi bothered me a little bit uh not that it wasn't funny but because it was funny in that movie and in this movie it just felt like it was not 
the right movie. Like I, I did mention the scene where they're uh, having the sandwich conversation, which apparently one of our listeners wrote in and said that's a callback to Halloween 5. Is that correct, Chris? Do you know anything about that? There are two bumbling cops in Halloween 5 who are meant to reference the bumbling cops in Wes Craven's uh, last house on the left. So it could be a callback to that, yes. Uh, Jacob, you wanted to talk a little bit about this, right? Yeah, there are two elements I think that um, really work for me and feel like they are straight from David Gordon Green because this movie may be a direct sequel to John Carpenter's Halloween, but it, it never at any point tries to um, replicate to the uh, rhythms and tone of Halloween. It's very much its own beast, just set in the same continuity. And David Gordon Green has this very specific ear and eye for small towns and high school students and um, humor that often comes from that group. And I think the high school scenes, the high school students in this movie are really well drawn, even in their limited scenes. And I think the small town stuff really works. And I think that the um, little touches, like the ostentatious sheriff who's wearing a cowboy suit, uh, even though he, he really shouldn't be, those are the kind of weird, specific touches that I think don't, that feel David McGuin's other movies. And you don't see those kind of like specific, so specific they feel real moments in lots of slasher movies where cops and other and high school students are drawn with an extremely broad brush. So I really appreciated uh, that touch brought to the movie. And I disagree with the humor for the most part. I think that the part that really works for me is the young kid being babysat who just is losing his mind. Oh, I, I had no house. problem with that. And, uh, but the reason I think that's so funny, the reason why it works is that it's funny in the same way you expect a David Gordon Green, uh, Danny McBride written scene to play out. This kid's just funny. Uh, but also he's funny while also being terrified. The kid manages a performance where he is balancing being funny while never deadlooting the fact that he is scared for his life. And for me, that's another unique tonal balance that David Green pulls off here. But I want to hear from um, Chris and Ben. Do you guys think there's David Gordon Green in this movie or the, or am I overreaching here? No, no, I, I definitely agree. And it, it's interesting because back when, you know, they announced this movie was happening, I immediately thought of, you know, cause they didn't say who the director was going to be right away. And I immediately started thinking of, directors who are really good at aping John Carpenter's style, like Adam Wingard and um, I forget his name at the moment, but the guy who directed Cold in July. They're very, very good at, uh, for lack of a better word, ripping off what John Carpenter does. Or even Jeremy Saulnier is very good at that John Carpenter style. And But then when they announced David Gordon Green, I was like, what the hell? That's not who I would have thought at all. But I really appreciated that he didn't try to replicate Carpenter because there really is only one Carpenter and no one does what John Carpenter does so well. You know, Jeremy Saulnier, like I said, comes pretty close, but no one can really rival what Carpenter did. So I really like that David Gordon Green put his own stamp on this. And I, I wasn't bothered by the humor at all. I, I honestly think the movie needs the humor because this movie is, it needs when the you levity. yeah, when you remove the humor, this movie is uh, almost, too brutal like I, I you know i don't have a problem with movie violence and you know there are some horror movies where you know the, the more violent the better but the violence in this movie is unrelentingly like cruel i want to say it's it's not like the other movies where i mean you know you watch that first movie michael myers basically just strangles people to death and it usually happens in the shadows here he's like bashing people's heads through walls it's really unpleasant to watch and and, I feel and, like... and not only that he kills a child yes I was very surprised at that he kills that kid and not only does he kill that kid we get to spend 
time with that kid. He's established as an actual character. He's not just someone who shows up and dies. Like he even has that funny bit where he's like, oh, I want to go to dance class instead of hunting. So you actually get to sort of like that kid. And then he gets killed. That's that's yeah. very shocking. And, and and it makes I, the tension later on when there's a child involved and a baby. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, they're not going to do the baby, are they? When I saw this at TIFF, that scene where he walks to the baby, uh, there was a woman sitting by me. And I literally heard her like moaning like, no, because she thought like he was going to kill the baby because they, they already established he kills a kid, but thankfully that doesn't happen. But so, yeah, on that note, I feel like if you remove, remove the humor, this movie is too unpleasant. And I don't think it would, it would go over as well as it's going over. Uh, since we we're just talking about the baby, I think now is probably a good time to bring up. Uh, I wrote an article that um, actually had a couple of Easter eggs surrounding, uh, sort of surrounding that. Uh, one of which is that Jamie Lee Curtis provided some of the voice of that baby, the, the infant crying. I guess she has this uh, this talent of creating baby noises, and I guess they used a real baby cry when the camera was like right up next to the crib. But I guess when uh, when it was sort of around the corner and you could sort of hear that for the first time, that was actually Jamie Lee Curtis doing a baby cry noise. So I thought it was kind of funny. And then um, in terms of why Michael Myers didn't murder that infant, uh, Collider asked David Gordon Green about that. And he said, why doesn't he? Because that would be so rude. I think it was a consideration. It's terrifying in its own right. And it was a last minute idea. I mean, why is there a baby crib in the living room? It was going to be your husband sleeping on the couch, but then he didn't show up and we scrambled and put a baby crib in there. And then, yeah, I thought it was interesting to see one ethical choice that he made in the movie. So that's the one ethical choice that Michael Myers makes. Hmm. The ethics of Michael Myers. (laughs) (laughs) That, that could be its own discussion. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Easter eggs in this movie. Uh, you mentioned a couple of them. Uh, but one thing I wanted to, to talk about is uh, I think the most uh, divisive character of this movie, and that is the Doctor, the new Loomis, uh, who I think if he was not in this movie or if the twist that happened was not in this movie, I might be on the level of Chris and love this movie. <laughs> Uh, but I know, uh, Jacob and Chris both have, uh, some varying opinions on this. So, uh, Chris, let's go to you first. Yeah. So I do love this movie, but the thing that keeps me from giving this like an even better review is that doctor character. His name is Dr. Satan, I believe. And uh, so... Yeah. Wait, his name is Dr. Satan? Uh, Sartain. <laughs> oh, it's Sartain? Okay, so, sorry about that. So, Dr. Satan. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, yes. So, uh, I, I will say I don't hate the idea of this character. So, the character is set up to, quote, unquote, be the new Loomis. Uh, Laurie Strode even says, oh, you're the new Loomis. But he's the inverse of Loomis, where Loomis was obsessed with killing Michael Myers. And there's even a scene in this movie where there's an audio tape of an actor uh, impersonating Loomis's Donald Pleasant's voice saying like, you know, there's no treatment for Michael Myers. You should just literally just kill him. There's nothing to, you know, there's no hope for this guy. You need to just kill him and get him off the face of the earth. And uh, Dr. Satan is the complete inverse of this. <laughs> I love where... how you just keep on calling doc- Dr. Satan. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. Um, he's, <laughs> He, he he wants to keep Michael alive because he's fascinated with this this idea of evil and having evil in the wild. You know, he 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 wants to see what Michael will do 
in in the wild. He says that in the movie. Like I've never seen him in the wild. And so I don't hate that idea. I think there can be something interesting done with that idea. But the way the movie handles it really pissed me off. First of all, I don't like the actor's performance playing the character. I think it's too broad. It's too silly. It's too over the top. And another thing I don't like is... So, so let me set the scene for you. So when I first saw this, that scene where Michael gets hit by the car and Dr. Satan is like, oh, he's dead. I I thought Michael was actually really dead. And there's a scene where the, the doctor puts on the Michael Myers mask and he's like making goofy sounds. And I had this terrible th- feeling that the end, like the climax of the movie was going to be like the doctor as the new Michael Myers. And I got so like furious. I wanted to like stand up and <laughs> leave the theater. Thankfully that doesn't happen. But the, the fact that he puts the mask on at all really, really bugged me. Like, cause like, I don't know that that mask doesn't belong to you, sir. Don't, don't put that <laughs> mask on. It belongs to Michael Myers. And I just, I just really don't like the way it's handled. I don't think Michael Myers needs any sort of assistance. You know, I will say to the movie's credit, I like that even when Michael Myers wakes up, he has no interest in working with the doctor. He instantly steps on his head and kills him. I do like that that that's in there, but I just, I don't think the movie needed it. I think it would be the same movie, maybe even better without this character and without this twist. I mean, I, I think what bothers me the most is I don't believe that a doctor would make that decision. Would, uh, but I, yeah, I, he, he is too evil. Like the, I think if they had removed the scene where he kills Will Patton's character, it would go over a little better. But the fact that he has like a secret knife in his pen is just a bit too wacky. Yeah. Jacob, I know you actually like this character in this movie. Yeah, I'll agree the performance is a little silly and a little over the top in ways I don't think quite work. But uh, conceptually, I think it really feeds into what I find fascinating about this movie and what I talked about earlier a little bit, which is that there's this reoccurring thing throughout this movie uh, that 40 years later, uh, Michael Myers has stopped being this um, boogeyman, except for except after everyone except for Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode, who was there that night, remembers how bad it was, and the sheriff or the, or the cop played by Will Patton knew how bad it was because he was there too but these podcasters who show up at um at the, at the mental asylum um hoping for an interview and they pop over lorries trying to say hey let's talk about a thing that happened 40 years ago we have these high school students who are saying to allison why hasn't your grandma gotten over this yet um there's this whole idea that f- f- um all these people who were not personally involved in the trauma keep wondering a how, why isn't she over this yet why aren't people over this yet and B, oh, this is no longer a terrifying thing. This is a curiosity. This is a, it's something cute and fun we can put on. A, we can put on a podcast. Isn't that interesting? Um, all all these people have defanged Michael Myers in their minds. They have um, broken him down into being this story from forty years ago, who's locked away in prison instead of the immediate threat that Laurie knows that he is. And this doctor, who's not Loomis, who did not see things personally, has only observed him in close quarters. He's essentially a Michael Myers fanboy. He puts on that mask because to him, Michael Myers is not the boogeyman. He's a fascinating test subject. He's a guy you would read about an article and go, oh, that's fascinating. Let me go tell my best friend over a drink about how fascinating these murders were. Uh, it's He represents the concept that, like, that we have podcasts about 
our favorite serial killers. Um, it's a podcast that go into great detail about murders and um, serial killers and horrible events. And they're always treated sometimes with a wink or with a, um, a gratuitousness that is that does not take into account that people were actually hurt and were actually harmed. And this doctor, seeing Michael Myers as this figment of fascination as opposed to someone who actually causes harm and someone who is in the way he wants to encourage that the lab lab test of putting Michael Myers back in the wild feeds in the idea that we've desensitized ourselves to how trauma hurts people and how uh, serial killers and murderers are actually creating nightmares at last and not just cool podcasts. So maybe it's a little sloppy, but I think it all ties together in a way that I found like, it got me thinking. I'll put. I'll leave it there. But I, I do think there's a big difference between the doctor inviting these podcasters in to rile Michael up, you know, bringing back the mask and tr- trying to get him to emote in some way. There's a difference between that and him pulling out a knife and doing what he did in the, in the third act of this film. I don't know. We've seen some pretty crazy fanboys. This guy is the ultimate fanboy. I feel like the fanboy thing it kind of makes him like the Kylo Ren of Halloween. But, um, <laughs> you know, if they were going to go that See, route, the Force I, Awakens again comparison. <laughs> I, I, I really think this just comes down to the actor for me. You know, like all the stuff Jacob says makes a lot of sense. And I, I do like the sound of it. I just it doesn't come across for me that way specifically because of the actor. I just think he's wrong for the part. No offense to that actor. I'm sure he's he's good in other things. I've never seen him in anything else, but I, I really don't like him here, and I, I wish someone else were playing this part. The moment when he stabs the cop, I was like, uh, you know, the, the first thing that flashed through my head, which I now realize makes no sense, but I was like, holy crap, what if this guy has been Michael Myers the whole time? Like, you know, because there's the whole thing about, like, he doesn't talk Right. And and so my thought, my immediate thought was like, wow, this is a huge twist. This is Michael Myers. He's been posing as this guy and he's been waiting for this moment to sort of like unleash his his true self. But like, I think we've seen Michael Myers kill other people, you know, earlier by himself. So it, it wouldn't like who is this other guy yeah. that we think is it doesn't make any sense. But I was just like, wow, this twist is insane. And then uh, very quickly, I was proven See, to be an idiot. <laughs> th- th- that could have made sense if they didn't show the doctor in the beginning with the podcasters, because we never seen what Michael's face was. But I, I guess right, he has yeah. a very different body, too. Um, but the thing really quickly, just to, to sort of piggyback a little bit on what uh, Jacob just said about like the trauma and uh, specifically how this movie deals with trauma. I thought I thought a lot about the Me Too movement during this movie. I thought that, it, you know, the the trauma that Laurie experienced, I thought was a really um, uh, could be read as a stand in for any sort of like uh, sexual abuse that, that, you know, stories that we're seeing all the time in our culture right now. And I thought that the movie handled that aspect of it really well, because like Jacob was saying, there there are so many um, segments of the population that just sort of tried to brush that trauma under the rug because they weren't there. They didn't experience it firsthand. And I feel like we've seen a lot of that in our culture, too. And I think that um there are, you know, even like with uh, with Lori's own daughter, like there's a, a moment when Judy Greer's character doesn't believe her that Michael Myers is coming or is is a threat. You know, she's she says something about how the world is like uh, full of, you know, lovely people and you know everything's kind of fine. Um, and it, I thought that was like a, a nice comment that like even women 
you know, not all women are are uh, able to, um, you know, be on each other's side in in a, a situation like that. So I just thought that the movie handled that in a in a complex way that I appreciated. But Ben, yay or nay on the doctor, you've been keeping it from us. So I, I think I got to side with uh, with Jacob and or with um, Peter and Chris on this one, Jacob. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's OK. Yeah, I forgive you, Ben. <laughs> Chris, you wrote this article basically talking about the Halloween ending and uh, if a sequel is even possible. Uh, could you talk about this this post? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I touched on this a little bit earlier. Like, w- like when I first saw this, I really didn't want this to be a speedy sequel because and I say that I elaborate the, on this in the article. I like that Lori finally gets closure here. I like that, you know, she spent 40 years waiting to kill Michael Myers and she finally has, in theory, killed him. And. Uh, you know, a part of me thinks it would kind of suck to have like the next movie be like, oh, never mind. You didn't kill him after all. And he's back and he's killing more people. It would it would just sort of rob this film of its power. But at the same time, like I said, after seeing it again this over the weekend, I want to see a sequel just because I, I enjoyed being back in this world. I enjoyed seeing Laurie Strode again. I enjoyed the new characters they introduced. So, you know, a sequel is very possible because of the way David Gordon Green shoots the ending. So, you know, to recap, Lori traps Michael in her, her panic room in the basement. And then she, she has all these, uh, which by the way is genius that we, the whole movie, we think this is a place for her to hide. Yeah. But it's really just a place for her to trap him. Yeah. That was very cool. I liked it a lot. And she's also like rigged her house up to go up in flames. And so she, you know, she burns the house down and, uh, Lori and her daughter and her granddaughter hitchhike out of there. And, you know, when the fire starts, we see Michael Myers, you know, in the panic room looking up as flames burn around him. But then as, you know, the, the, the Strode girls are driving away, David Green cuts back to the basement and where Michael was standing is now empty. Now he deliberately keeps the camera above the ground so in theory michael could already be dead and laying on the ground and you know just out of camera view but at the same time he could have also somehow escaped so it's really up to interpretation that you know the 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 wiggle room is there if they want to do a sequel they could easily have it be michael got out somehow but you know i keep coming back to that idea of it robs this ending of his power to have michael just easily have escaped after you know that big uh, cathartic moment where Laurie says goodbye to him, so I don't know. Well, we do hear some breathing in the credits, right? No, sorry, I was on mute. Um, that that breathing, David Gordon Green actually did an interview, and he, that breathing is actually supposed to be uh, Allison in the truck when they're get, going away. So he he did that on purpose ah. to make it sort of like ambiguous, but yeah. Um, what what do you take of the that that shot at the end with the zoom in on the knife? I don't know. I don't know what that means. And my wife actually, when we saw it, she was like, "What what was up with that shot?" And I don't know. It, maybe it's like just a commentary that you know this family. You know, even though for now they're safe, their their whole legacy is pretty much wrapped up in violence. Like that's just who they are. That's who the Strodes are at this point. I mean, violence has really just colored their whole lives. I mean, even, you know, the, the, 
Allison's father is dead now. So th- there's really like no escape and there's maybe no way they're ever really going to feel safe, really. You know, even if Michael is dead, <laughs> there's really no way you get over this, I, I, I think. And I think that's maybe what he's going for with that shot. That's sort of how I read it, too, is just like they're defined by the iconography of this franchise of, of this. Uh, you know, that's that's Michael Myers weapon. That's his weapon of choice. That's the thing that we identify with that character. And they're they're driving away with it now. But it's still linked to them in this uh, this way that's sort of like in inextricable from <laughs> from how they uh, you know, they're not going to be able to just drive away from the trauma that they've just experienced again. And, and I actually just thought of this. If you want to get really Freudian with it, it could be like a, a demasculization thing where, you know, the knife is Michael Myers extension of his manhood. And now yeah. they, they've taken it away from him and they they have it. Yeah, totally. Now, now this is a little bit too conspiracy theory for even me, but some fans online believe that this is an indication that uh, that uh, she, that Jamie Lee Curtis's character, you know, has now become the monster. That in the next movie, she could end up, you know, taking on the mask of Michael Myers. Is that just too ridiculous? You, you know, this almost happened with Halloween 4. Chris can speak more to this, but Halloween 4 ends with uh, Laurie Strode's niece lashing out uh, the, at her uh, uh, foster mother. Then Halloween 5 immediately retcons it. So it wouldn't be out of realm of possibility that there is a history of Halloween almost setting up its heroines to be uh, killers in the next one. What do you think, Chris? I would I would personally hate this, but it would not be out of line. Like Jacob said, uh, you know, Halloween four is still in the, the the normal continuity where Michael Myers is trying to kill his bloodline, and it, it reveal it basically sets up the fact that anyone related to Michael Myers has his his killer gene, if you want to call it that. And actually, Rob Zombie's Halloween two touches on this very briefly at the end, where uh, Laurie. You know, the new Laurie puts on Michael's mask, but I I personally would not like this. And that would be like a reverse inversion of the Terminator franchise as well, because then uh, <laughs> instead of going from like um, Arnold being the uh, the villain in the first one to the protector in the second one, it would be the opposite with Jamie Lee Curtis's character in this one in the sequel. Or reverse Star Wars as well. Um, but OK, uh Jacob, I think you wanted to talk about uh, the idea of a slasher movie and if it needs to be scary or not. Yeah, this was a big conversation at Fantastic Fest uh, after it played there, where I talked to a startling number of people who were bothered that New Halloween isn't scary. And I, I agree. I don't think it's scary. I think it's tense. You don't think it's like, scary? It's oh, well, no. It, I think... it definitely has a tension in like the fog it, sequence. Yeah. It's very tense. It's very thrilling. But I was never like actively scared. But hearing all these horror fans say that they want it to be scary makes you wonder how many slasher films are actually scary. I mean, I think Halloween is the original one is very suspenseful. I think like the Friday Thirteenth movies are a good time. They're, they're they're parties. I think Scream is a ton of fun. But I can't think of many slasher films that are actually scary, like genuinely edge of your seat, terrifying in, in the way I find you know horror movies, uh, actual scary horror movies. So I'm curious, is Halloween scary for you guys? And does a slasher film need to be scary? I just want to have this conversation here on the air real quick. Well, I would think slasher movies generally have those jump scares. I don't think they're really scary. It's more of those moments, those kind of like gimmicky moments of scare. 
Um, I, I kind of feel like the idea of Michael Myers is always scarier than seeing him, you know, just like a person invading the suburbs and like you, you're not quite sure, you know, if he's around a corner and he's lurking in the dark, like that kind of thing. The, the invasion into what is supposed to be a safe place is really scary, but I think in the actual execution of it. I've never really been scared in the way that things like, um, I don't know, the ending of Kill List, for example, uh, like anything like that, that has more of a um, like a I, I guess to avoid spoilers for Kill List. But but anything that has more of a um, I guess it's something that could be set in like the real world or something that actually could uh, I don't know. It seems it seems more realistic somehow. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying, Jacob? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh I think Kill List is a terrifying movie, a good, a good example here, of a movie that like really is all about existential dread and, and we're about making you leave the theater feeling unpleasant. Whereas Halloween, for all of its horror, is still a really exciting, crowd-pleasing experience where you cheer and and laugh and eat popcorn, and it does extremely well. So I don't think it's a prerequisite to be scary. I don't think that's the goal of Halloween, personally. Chris, you've probably seen more horror movies than any of us. What do you, what do you think? Um, I think the new film, the new Halloween does have a few scary moments. Um, but you know, they could be boiled down to suspenseful moments. Um, there's, there's this one scene where Will Patton is walking through this house, uh, after the, the babysitter and her boyfriend have been murdered. And that scene is very tense. And there's a shot where he sees a figure in the bedroom under you know, a sheet, like a ghost, which is a callback to the original film where Michael puts on that sheet. And David Gordon Green holds this shot incredibly long where Will Patton's hand is very, very, <laughs> very slowly going to the end. When I saw it over the weekend, again, you know, the, that shot is coming going on. And there was someone in the theater who just, was just like, oh, my God, like they were <laughs> they couldn't take the tension anymore because he was drawing it out so, so much. So I think that stuff has has a way of scaring people at the same time. I don't know, like, uh, there are very few horror movies, even though I'm a huge horror movie fan, that legitimately scare me. Like, you know, I I'll feel dread every once in a while on certain films, but I don't know if I'm immune to it from watching them for so long, or I, I don't know. But I think the original Halloween, when it came out, in you know, this 1978, was very scary. Uh, I think now in the 21st century, you know, it's, it's, it seems very tame. So, you know, there, there's that removed to it, but yeah, I mean, slasher movies, I guess it, it depends on what you want to classify a slasher movie. I, you know, if you want to count something like the, the first Texas chainsaw massacre as a slasher movie, I'd say that is very scary. That movie is terrifying, but on the most part, like, you know, Friday the 13th and a nightmare on Elm street, they're not really scary. They're more about just, entertainment i guess i want to say i don't know we have gone really long in this podcast more, longer than i thought we were going to but there's a couple more things i wanted to touch on uh, chris today you did this article on how they almost kept the the canon from halloween 2 in this movie but they decided not to yeah so david gordon green in an interview uh, you know the the new halloween it throws out all the sequels it's a direct sequel the first one but david gordon green revealed that in early stages he really wanted to keep both the first and the second movie in continuity in canon for this and uh, he eventually changed his mind and you know i think it's it's a good thing he did so you know the second movie has the you know this famous twist 
where it's revealed that Lori Strode is Michael Myers' long lost sister. She was adopted by another family. And that's why he, he's trying to kill her, you know, but that really robs Michael Myers of what made him so scary in the first movie. What made that character scary was that he could go after anyone at any time for literally no reason. He's just this unstoppable force of evil. And if you keep the, the Laurie Strode is his sister thing in there, it gives him a motive. And David Gregory was saying, you know, they wrote, you know, they wrote that scene. There's this great scene in the middle of the film where Michael stalks around Haddonfield going from house to house, killing people. And David Gordon Green was like, that scene really doesn't work if we keep the sister thing in there because it's, it, it would be asking the question, why is he killing all these people? Why is he just trying to get to his sister? And that's what ultimately made them decide to cut Halloween 2 out of the continuity. And I know some hardcore fans might have a problem with this. I don't. And I'm a big fan of the series specifically because – John Carpenter has even admitted that he wrote that he, he basically pulled it out of his ass because he, <laughs> he needed to find a good reason to make the sequel happen. And he thought that was the best thing he could come up with at the time. And also, uh, I know, you know, while watching the trailers and TV spots for this movie, there was a bunch of uh, like moments in, in the marketing that weren't in this movie. And you also did a fantastic write up of that for the site uh, that I will link in the show notes. Uh, yeah, real quick. There's a shot in a, in a TV spot where we see the, the female reporter in the shower and she gets startled by Michael Myers. And uh, in our Slack, I think we figured this out because it, it really makes no sense if it was still in the movie. At, if it really was Michael Myers, because she gets, why would she get attacked by him twice? So our theory is it's the, the, the male podcaster wearing the mask as a joke to scare her. And they probably just cut it out for time. Uh, and then there are a few shots of um, Laurie Strode uh, battling Michael Myers that aren't in the final film. And since then we've learned that the film had a, had a much different ending that was recent, that was reshot before it was released. And I, I was actually reading an interview with David Green the other day where he admitted that they basically found this movie in the edit. Like they shot a bunch of stuff. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. And, uh, you know, while editing it, they, they got the movie they wanted it to be now. And there was a completely different ending where all three Strode women are outside fighting Michael and, that got reshot to be what it is now and what works a lot better now too, I might add. Yeah, it works considerably better. I'm surprised that they were able to find that in in the editing room. Um, but uh, Chris, you have already said that uh, you would like to see a sequel to this. Uh, Jacob, would you like to see a, a sequel to Halloween 2018? Uh, yes, but it has to be under one of two conditions. Uh one, I would like them to continue the thematic threads here. I think that trying to do just another Slashhammer sequel after what they do here would be a disservice, and it would be just a bad choice. So it, it needs to be as smart and as good, which makes me bring up my, my second point, which is they need to bring back David Gordon Green and the same team. Uh, I would if, if they don't want to come back, that's fine. They should at least try or at least find somebody as interesting. I don't want this to be a situation where this handed off to somebody to make another slash of Michael Myers. They made this into an event, and the box office responded accordingly. This was a massive success because it was treated with dignity and uh, tact and respect. And if they can bring back all those elements uh, and continue what made this one special, 
yeah, go for it. Make, let's make a sequel. Uh, after hearing Chris talk about how a sequel would do Laurie Strode nasty, I don't think I want one. I think I, I, I've i been con- convinced by Chris's argument that it, it I'm okay with them driving away and having that cathartic moment for that character. And maybe they'll maybe they could reboot it or something. But um, and, you know, then I would be down based on who is in it and directing and writing all that stuff. But I think this version of the uh, the story, I mean, that's a pretty great ending point that, that they have right now. Yeah, as much as I would, in, I think, enjoy another one, I don't see a reason. I, I don't see a good reason to, to to make another one other than, you know, obviously this movie did a lot of money at the box office. So I'm sure the studio wants another one. But I, I can't think of a good story reason. Like, I, I feel like, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to... Mike Myers just comes back again, or you have someone who is, uh, you know, taking up the mantle and trying to be him. It, I, I think it'd be kind of interesting if it would have been kind of interesting if there was like that kind of true crime thing had come out, like it, if that was not a part of this movie and how that affects the Strausses, like the, the effect of like uh, this, you know, these kind of killings kind of become a national scale phenomenon i i was talking the other day about uh making a murderer season two and how the first episode kind of deals with the consequences of like this phenomenon of uh making a murderer and how it affected the people involved i think that could have been interesting but i i think they already kind of blew that by having like the podcasters in this episode so i i just can't see how they would do it um chris i'll leave it with you do you have any ideas for a sequel for Halloween? I no. <laughs> like I, like I said, I I I am of two minds of this. One is you know don't do it. One is yes, do it again. I you know I have a feeling if they do do a sequel, I don't think Jamie Lee Curtis is going to want to come back because she's basically been sort of semi-retired, and I feel like she got her moment with this, and she probably doesn't want to do it again. But she might. But. I feel like if they have a sequel, it's going to focus on new characters dealing with Michael Myers. And then maybe the Strohs can live out the rest of their life thinking he's dead. <laughs> they can, they can, uh, you know, live in, um, what's the, they can live in, uh, oblivion and not know that Michael Myers is still out there murdering people. Blissful ignorance. Yes. That's, I couldn't think of the term. Yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we need that, but okay. That brings us to the end of today's slash film daily. Jacob, where can people find more of your work online? I'm on SlashFilm.com every single day, and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. Chris, where can people find more of your work? Also SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 Ben, if Michael Myers is searching for you, where can he find you? Oh, you know he's going to SlashFilm.com, Peter. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Uh, you can find me at Slash Film on all social media. You can find more of the stories we talked about today in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. Uh, this podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please feel free to send us your questions, comments, concerns, and feedback to Peter at SlashFilm.com or your life advice. If you need life advice from Chris, uh, we are racking up a couple entries. We have some people wanting a lot of parenting advice from Chris, which I think is dangerous. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, so send it to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, oh, if you have an idea for a Halloween sequel, send it there. 
And if it's good, we'll read down there. Uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.